I can show you my pretty face. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the first place I go to keep my business skills sharp. They offer over 150,000 books on business, finance, planning, and much more. They also have a great selection of fiction that keeps me entertained when I'm just not up for some serious content. I love it because I can buy a book, download it to my iPhone, and listen while running errands or at the gym. Get your free trial at freelancershow.com slash audible. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash CodeSchool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to ProXPN.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 139 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Eric Davis. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And this week we have a special guest, and that's Brian, is it Casel or Castle? Castle. Just like a castle. Everybody says Cassell or, or Casel. Been getting that my whole life, but uh, uh, yeah, it's Castle. Awesome. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. So I'm a web designer, front-end developer by trade, and I've been doing that for years. But really, in, in recent years, I spend most of my time kind of running my businesses, doing a lot, lot more writing than anything else. And I'm now... So the main business that takes up a lot of my time is called Restaurant Engine, and that is, it's a hosted, uh, managed web design service for restaurants and food trucks, and it's built all on top of uh, WordPress, and it's delivered in kind of a SaaS model, software as a service, but really it has also evolved into much more of a productized service, and we do quite a I mean, almost all the services is delivered manually, and we've built it up with systems and processes. So that's the main business. And then the other side of what I do is I write and teach on my personal site, castjam.com. I write for freelancers and, and a lot about bootstrapping a business online and, and making that transition from freelancing and kind of leveling up into into a products business. I write a lot about that sort of thing. And I recently uh, released a course on that same topic. It's called Productize. And it, it really focuses on launching, automating and systemizing, and then marketing a productized service business or a productized consulting business. And that's at uh, castjam.com slash productize. Very cool. So uh, we talked to Nick DeSabato a week or two ago, and uh, he talked about productized consulting, but it sounds like yours is more focused on I don't know. So so what he's doing is he's basically packaged up his freelance services as a product. And it sounds like you're more, I don't know, maybe you can explain the difference. So yeah, like I know Nick and I interviewed him as a case study interview as part of the, the productized course. And actually that particular interview was released for free on, on our podcast. I also host a podcast called Bootstrapped Web with my co-host uh, Jordan Gal. Um, a couple of episodes back we had Nick on and we just released that case study interview with him. So in the course, I do kind of cover both sides of that of that coin when it comes to productizing. There you know, there are really two you know, most of these case studies around productizing kind of fall into two different buckets. And one is the productized consulting model, which is very much, you know, what Nick DeSabato has done, kind of staying small, solo, 
focusing in on one particular service or one solution and eliminating all of the extra things that most freelancers are have to do, you know, taking on work that you don't normally enjoy or may not, you know, be the best for your business, kind of focusing in on just doing one particular thing that you enjoy doing yourself. The other side of this is kind of building up a productized service business. And this is more along the lines of, of what I've been doing with Restaurant Engine and others like Dan Norris has built up with WP Curve. And this is building up a business that's still very much centered around manual services, you know, delivering things manually, but it's focused on building systems and processes that can then allow you as the freelancer, as the founder of this business, to remove yourself from all of the day-to-day operations. And so so that you can kind of focus on on the bigger picture, you know, managing and, and growing the business and scaling it up using systems and processes and, and people, you know, rather than investing in software automation or that sort of thing. I mean, that can be part of it, but really it's about, you know, automating and growing through systems. That sounds really interesting. And to be honest, I have a whole bunch of dumb questions that I've saved up for somebody like you that can explain to me how to set up good systems in my business because that's something that I'm really not good at. But let's kind of back up for a minute. So it sounds like this is something that you could kind of grow from the productized consulting type thing that Nick is doing, you know, where it's, you know, I'm going to do a certain amount of services for you and, you know, you're going to pay me a certain amount to get it done, you know, be that a retainer deal or just a one-off thing to, you know, you can scale up and train other people to do that and then you can, you know, you can serve an entire niche of people that need that service and you can have people that you know, do the work for you. And so you wind up then doing the business development and things like that, where somebody else is actually doing the work. Yeah, exactly. You know, I I think it's really all about figuring out your personal goals and, you know, personal and professional goals. Where do you want to end up a year from now, three years from now? Uh, Of course, it's impossible to to truly know the answers uh, and predict the future, but um, you do want to have an idea of why you're making the changes in your business that, that you are making, you know, because that's really what this is all about. When, when I'm teaching a course on productization, yeah, a lot of it is picking a business model and focusing in on, on the right service and whatnot, and then how to build systems and, and write really strong procedures and stuff. But what we're really talking about here is making a, a change in your business, changing the way that, that you do things, or maybe changing the way that you've done things for, for many years. And so it, I think it's a matter of personal preference. You know, someone like Nick, I think I asked him this in, in the interview, you know, because he, he could delegate a lot of this, a lot of the repeatable work, but he just chose not to. Like, he doesn't want to grow in that way. And that's, you know, that, that's perfectly fine. But, you know, someone like me, my, my original goal when I launched Restaurant Engine was I wanted to build a business that could potentially run and grow without me. And now, you know, three years into it, it's basically there. You know, it's, it's every day, you know, we're, we're servicing customers, we're bringing on new customers, and every piece of that process essentially happens without me having to necessarily, you know, touch tickets or get on sales calls and, or things like that. So, you know, it, it's really just a matter of thinking with, with the end in mind and then taking the necessary next steps. So one thing that strikes me with a lot of what you're talking about, and we'll just use Restaurant Engine as an example, it looks like you've more focused on providing websites for restaurants. So that's kind of your niche. You've, you've chosen a vertical and a service that you're going to provide to them. Let's say that I'm just a regular web developer. How do I get to the point where I'm, you know, where I can do this kind of thing for my clients or I can find clients that want this kind of work done? Maybe it's more appropriate. Yeah, sure. So, you know, what it kind of suggests is look at all the, the list of things that you currently do 
for your clients. And uh, as a freelance web designer, I mean, you know, I was a freelance web designer for many years. And what most of us do is we do a lot of different things. You know, we've worked with plenty of clients from all different sectors and industries and different requirements, you know, small sites, large sites, applications, everything. And you, you look at the list of things that you do consistently or that you've done over the years, and you want to kind of narrow it down to just a couple or just one or two things that can potentially be built out into a productized offering. And the way that you start to narrow that list down and, and make the decision on, on which one can actually become a service is to figure out what is that one service or one solution that is most valuable to paying customers. And there's there are a few points of, of criteria for that. I mean, number one, like are customers willing to pay for it? Um, and ideally, if you're coming from a freelance background, like have they actually paid you for this particular service? So I, in a lot of the examples that I've written about, you know, for, for example, I used to do like one of the things on my list of like 20 plus different services was I used to create and write email newsletters for clients. And in a few instances, I actually had clients who solely hired me to write an email to create like an HTML email newsletter and then and write it and send it out. So that right there shows, you know, there, there are clients willing to pay for this particular service. And then it's a matter of kind of pricing it and putting together a scope that actually offers a strong value proposition for that client. So, you know, it's, it's a combination of kind of looking at the things that you're already doing, looking at who you're serving, too. That's the other part of this is, you know, it's a matter of changing from I'm serving anyone and everyone and every type of business and organization to I'm now serving one particular type of client or really one person who stands to benefit way more than anyone else from this particular solution. Because once you focus in on that one specific person, then in terms of marketing your business, it's really just a matter of finding more and more of that same person, you know, rather than taking on calls and discovery meetings and consultations with all sorts of different people, you know, and then having to like reinvent your service every single time. Right. And I think that's what's interesting about you know, the productized consulting idea is you have like the standard set of services and it's like not cookie cutter in a bad way, but cookie cutter in that, you know, a certain type of client comes to you, they get a certain type of service from you, you deliver it, and then you can do the same thing for someone else. And by doing the similar or almost the exact same task each time, you can actually refine your process, get better at it, all that versus kind of the standard freelancer consultant model, like everything's up in the air. Like what does the client want? When do they want it? How much is it going to cost? And so it's like, 100% custom and that kind of model can work but it's really hard to build processes around that sort of like service implementation and delivery. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I call it like eliminating discovery, right? And basically that's as a freelancer or even as like a larger agency working in with different clients, every single time a new client comes to your door, you know, sends you an email or asks for a meeting or whatever, you have to go through this long, drawn-out process of, you know, like you said, like, like figuring out their requirements, what are their goals, you know, just nailing down the, the scope of this project. And then you have to go back and write it all up in a really long proposal. At least that's what I used to do. Sometimes it, it involves, you know, several phone calls or several meetings over a number of months until you finally give this long proposal. And then it's still kind of up in the air, like, what, like 50-50 chance that they'll actually become a client? And now you've wasted all these hours, you know, going through this whole discovery process. And then you do it again and again, every single time there's a new client. So it's like, you have to figure out what in this process of the discovery process, you're, you're figuring out what that client's goals are, and then reinventing your value proposition for each individual client. Whereas with a productized service, you start with the solution 
in mind, and that's fully laid out in this package that you've put together. And then it's just a matter of as new leads come in, it's really just a matter of figuring out, well, are you the right type of person, the right fit for this, or are you not? And that's a much faster process for getting them on board or passing and avoiding a a lot of wasted time. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess the other thing that you uh, run across is that it makes it easier for them to self-select because you have the right solution to the right problem for the right market. And so overall, you know, things go down, you know, they look through the solution and they say, yes, that's what I want. Because it's something that they can just go, yes, I want to buy it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's really what it's all about is positioning your service as a product, as if it's like a product off the shelf at a store or something that you buy off of like Amazon, you know, and I think that really benefits the customer, benefits the client as as well as it's really not just about you and making a more comfortable working situation. Of course, that's one half of it. But, you know, it's also about aligning the incentives for your clients. So if you look at, at Nick DiSabato's business, right, his clients benefit on a monthly basis, they're getting increased conversion rates through these A-B tests that he's running on their sites every single month. If that were delivered in like a billable hour model, the way a, a typical freelancer would, then it would be about, you know, Nick would be incentivized to just bill up more and more hours and they would be incentivized to kind of like limit the number of hours. Or if you're talking about a new project, it's like, how can we make this project smaller? But really, you know, the end goal is to make the business more money. And that's how they've designed, and that's how Nick has designed his service is set price. The single goal for me is to increase your conversions, increase your sales. And the more that I do that, the more likely you're going to remain subscribed to the service. Yep. Right. And that's kind of like what I did with, I switched to weekly billing, I don't remember, a few months ago at least. And one of the big reasons why and what I tell people when they're talking to me and they're wanting like an hourly quote is I say like, look, with the weekly thing, you know what you're getting. You're paying a set chunk for this week. You're going to get, you know, me exclusive access for the entire week. And it becomes kind of just up to us to figure out what we can fit in there. And I've had clients where they were kind of concerned at the beginning, like, you know, well, how much are we going to get done? And then two days into it, they're like, oh, wow, we've got enough done that if you stopped right now, we'd be happy. And Mm -hmm. having that kind of fixed price point, that kind of cap on, you know, this is the terms of how you work with me, that actually removes some of the risk from them. Like, they're not worried that I'm going to go over and charge them like four times what they thought they were going to pay because we have that agreement up front that this is what they're booked and this is what they're going to pay. Yeah, exactly. I think the more that you can move away from, you know, billable hours and over to just really kind of the more that you can remove time from the equation or from the conversation around around the value of what you're doing, the better. You know, I think with and, you know, a lot has been written about like value based pricing, you know, like the services that you're delivering, what are they actually worth to your client? You know, maybe it might only take you a week or two to build a new website, but that website might be worth tens of thousands of dollars in in increased sales Mm -hmm. to that client. And that's kind of what justifies a higher price point. And then, you know, the other thing about productized services is that I I strongly recommend showing your price up front, like putting it right on your website or in your, in in like the way that you communicate. And what that does is, like you said, it it helps to self-select, you know, you're not going to get requests or leads from people who are just simply out of the price, you know, the ballpark, but it also kind of establishes the price and it, and it removes that from the conversation. And then it keeps the focus on what's the value here. It's like, okay, this service costs, you know, it's a thousand dollars one-time service or it's whatever it is, like $1,500 a month, whatever, whatever your particular service is, you know, 
then the conversation is like, okay, so what's included and what are the benefits? How is this actually going to impact my bottom line? Like these are the things that, that clients and companies really care about. So the more that you can focus on that, rather than the, the traditional model of freelancing, it's all about billable hours. It's like, okay, well, how, how much is this going to going to run me? How, how long is this going to take? And then you're not really talking as much about, well, what's included and how is that actually going to benefit us? Yeah. I mean, if you take the emotional part of buying a side, which that's a huge component, but the logical side for businesses, if they have the money and if the service seems like it's going to help solve a problem they have, it just comes down to like, is the benefit from this service over a period of time going to be worth more than what it costs? And by having the price there, and especially if you can justify the price and contrast it of like, you know, say it costs a thousand dollars a month, and then you have a testimonial of a company saying this saved me, you know, six figures in a year. That makes it really easy to sway a decision of okay, it's worth it. And especially with I found with these kind of packaging, you can actually do the more product idea of giving guarantees and stuff like that. Like you could say, you know, if you don't like it, it, it doesn't increase your sales in say three months. I'll refund all your money, or I'll refund the last one, or whatever. It makes the buying decision easier. I mean, you still have the emotional mm-hmm. parts, but that's you know, that's a whole ball of mud right there. Yeah, totally. And what you said there with testimonials or, you know, doing case studies is very, very powerful. You know, showing real results and communicating the benefits, not you communicating them, but your clients actually communicating them for you. You know, that's as authentic as it can get. The other thing is when a business is hiring someone to do something like A-B conversion optimization tests, like what Nick DeSabato does, you know, they're looking for someone who really knows how to do that like better than anyone else. They're, they're looking for the expert, the specialist. Um, and they look at a site like Nick's and it's like, this is all this guy does. <laughs> you know, he does this one thing. Of course he can do the job. That's what he does. You know, it's, I used to get a lot of requests, you know, as a freelance web designer. I was like, well, um, can you do like an e-commerce site? In the early years of my of freelancing, I, I thought like, well, sure, of course I know how to do a, an e-commerce site. You know, I have all the tools available. I, I can do it. Like, okay, so let me see some examples. And I didn't have any at the time. I, I just didn't really have any recent projects where I did an e-commerce site. But I knew that I could do it. You know, so you get into these situations where like you're doing so many different services that it's hard to kind of pinpoint your expertise or, or, you know, where you can provide the most value. I mean, that's where kind of focusing in on, on one particular solution and then matching that to one type of customer can really help kind of spur on the growth over the long term. So I kind of want to change tactics a little bit and talk a little bit more about how you scale that up. Because I think we understand pretty well the benefits of doing something like the productized consulting. But, you know, how do you get to the point where, let's say that I... I have this brilliant idea, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to start PlumberEngine.com. And you know, I have had people emailing me about Plumber. Like I, I get, oh, I get really? emails every week. Like oh, I have the same idea for Restaurant Engine, but for plumbers. Or I've heard it for like magicians. I've heard it for real estate. I've heard it for you know, like every industry. That's funny. Yeah, that's interesting. Anyway, so let's say that we do it though. Let's say that we do PlumberEngine.com. Yeah. And you know, so. I get started and, you know, I'm building plumber websites. You know, at what point do I want to start looking at scaling it up? And, you know, what kind of systems can I put in place to make that easier? Yeah, so building systems is really what it's all about. I think once you get your head around getting into this, like, systems mindset, that's really going from I'm a freelancer and I do everything myself to now I'm a business owner and I'm building an asset. I'm building, like, a machine that can run itself. And... This is really a multi-year process. It, it certainly was for me. It's, it's always still a learning process, right? But basically, you know, building systems is really... So it comes down to this. I mean, number one, 
It's about standardizing the work. You want to make sure that not only are you delivering one particular service and one solution, but you're also delivering it the same way every time. I mean, as we all know, like there's 20 different ways to build a blog website or you know, 100 different ways to build an e-commerce website, but you have to choose one particular method for building it. So, for example, maybe that's, you know, you're, you'll always use the same framework or um, you'll always use the same tool set, the, the same you know, process and procedures for delivering that, that same service. You're standardizing it and making it as predictable as possible. So before you even get into like writing procedures and, and hiring a team, you first need to do that work of what do we do, what don't we do, and make our work as standardized as possible. That's step one. Step two, streamline it. So find ways to streamline the process any way that you can. Maybe that's using templates, you know, optimizing your, your framework. You know, it, it can start to get into procedures and, and writing, you know, standard ways of doing things. Just any way that you, or, or maybe finding a, a piece of software that can help do one of the steps faster than doing it manually. Just finding ways to streamline it. And then, then it gets into documenting. So, you know, writing detailed procedures. And these are, you know, step-by-step documents outlining the individual steps of, of performing the same repeatable service that you do for clients on a, on a daily or, or a weekly basis. So writing procedures is something that it's just always going on. Like I still write procedures today. I have plenty of procedures that I will write. It's You're just always writing them and you're always refining them and improving them. So this is something that it takes a long time to to get into this habit because it actually takes a lot of extra time to make sure that you're documenting everything that you're doing because we all know, you know, if we're sending out like a MailChimp email blast, right, we can knock that out in 15 minutes. It's easy. But to do it and then document it, it can take like three times longer. You know, well, I'll spend two hours maybe documenting the whole process of how do I go about sending out a MailChimp blast for my business. But once you have that document in place, it really pays off because then you can get to that final step, which is beginning to grow your team, bring in you know employees or an assistant or, or someone that you can then give them that procedure and then they can start handling that process. And now you've freed up your time as the business owner, um, not necessarily to go lounge on, on a beach somewhere. Maybe you do want to do that, but really once you free up that time, once you start delegating these tasks and getting them off your plate and trusting in the systems that you've built that your team is handling them now you have all this extra free time so so now you can focus on how to actually grow the business so you know now you can focus on like how to find more of that ideal customer or you know setting up a new marketing plan or or you know writing more systems like that's the cycle so what makes a good system i mean what what are some of the things that you're going to run into with that yeah, so I think and the important thing to note is it's constantly being refined. Like in the very beginning, like I said, it takes a lot of time, but in the very beginning, you can just keep it simple. Like just jot down a couple, of, like a bullet point list of five or 10 steps that it takes to knock out this particular task. Then over time, you want to start adding as much detail as possible. If you look at some of my procedures in my business today, I mean, multi-pages long in, in Google Docs, every step has really granular detail of exactly how to perform each task. And then I've got like screenshots with, you know, notating them with like arrows and circles and, and things like that. Sometimes I'll use like video screencasts as, as well, but just really, you know, going above and beyond and putting like all this granular detail in because my goal when I'm writing a, a procedure is to make sure that my teammate, whoever's following this, they have everything that they need to basically just knock it out of the park. You know, they're going to do an, an outstanding job 
because of the time and effort and care that I put into writing this procedure. Of course, you want to stay open to them asking questions, especially when they're doing it for the first or second time. But, you know, it's just really uh, about kind of ironing out all those kinks as they come up, because they will, especially once you start doing it for paying customers. Like you can write a procedure theoretically. Like right now, I'm rolling out a new add-on service to Restaurant Engine where we're going to be managing their their email marketing and, and social media updates. I'm writing some procedures based on what I know about how to do email marketing and posting social updates and stuff. But we're still in the process of rolling this out to actual customers. So I know that these are kind of just like first draft procedures. But, you know, in a couple of weeks when these are being performed for real customers, inevitably we're going to come up with or we're going to see, you know, kinks or bumps in the road where like, oh, we didn't really think of that. You got to go update the procedure. So it's uh, it's just a never-ending process of, you know, making it run like a, like a machine. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I did is I started a kind of a weekly newsletter thing called Freelance Chi. And there's multiple steps to it because I have to like review a bunch of sources, curate them, figure out which ones are good, summarize them, put them into a document, make sure there's like, I don't have like 10 from one site and, you know, that's all that's in there. I have to like give a variety. Um, and then on top of that, I do a podcast, which involves, you know, recording, editing, uploading, you know, the whole nine yards. And the first one, I just like ran through it, did it, threw it together, it worked. And then the second one, I was like, let me take some time and write a procedure for it. And I did a simple procedure. And then the third time and the fourth time, I made a mistake with the podcast like I actually didn't attach the podcast to the feed so even though the podcast was recorded and you could play it online it didn't actually show up in iTunes and you know it happened you know the first time I saw I was like oh I just screwed up the second time it happened I was like okay my procedure's wrong and I went back and looked at my procedure and found that I didn't actually put any of that detail in there so I went changed the procedure to add that detail and so now my document that I'm going through and checking off for each issue each week now has that so I'm never going to have that problem or that bug happen again and yeah. I mean, it's just me doing it. And I, I told the guys, it's like, it takes two or three hours a week to do it. But this procedure is, it's going to get better. It's going to get more refined. And I might bring someone in to help me with the editing or someone with the curation. And I can hand that part of the procedure off to them and let them run with it. And I know it's going to be at least the minimum standard of quality that I need. That's awesome. You know, it's, it's always about finding those things that, like you said, like, like something comes up, you know, a piece of the, of the procedure kind of broke down. And then it's a matter of going into the list and diagnosing, all right, what went wrong here? What was, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of like changing the order. Like, oh, if you do step four before step two, this whole thing becomes much easier, you know? So like, I also like to include little tips like for my team to follow. Like, you know, you might want to open like two browser tabs for this and then copy from one to the other. Like like it's a quick tip, but it just makes it a lot easier. You don't want to keep that stuff to yourself. You want to just include everything. And over time, what, what it can come to is once your team is the ones knocking out these tasks according to the procedures, then they start to improve the tasks, you know, because they're doing it day in, day out. So they're even closer to the work than you are once you begin delegating. So you want to make sure that everybody has access and everybody has the ability to uh, edit the procedures and, and make improvements to them. Yeah, that makes sense. I also really like the idea of putting together procedures for me. Yeah, You know, and Eric talked about that, you know, because there are things that I do that I just, yeah, I don't really think about it that way, you know, and I think I know how I want it done, but to actually sit down and write it out, a lot of times it also just clarifies my thinking by doing that. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I see that with myself as well. It's It just makes you better at doing your job and finding, like, more efficient ways to do it, you know. 
Yep. And that's, I mean, really with all of this, again, it's like making that transition from freelancer to business owner, even if, if you remain solo, it's stepping back and working, they call it like, like working on your business, you know, mm-hmm. rather than in your business. Working on your business, you're kind of taking like a bird's eye view and thinking about how can we make things more efficient? How can we do things uh, so that they're more effective for clients and for the business? And maybe like, how can we start thinking about how to grow this business in the next six months or, or 12 months? You know, what, what are the changes that we'll need to make in order to get there rather than focusing and spending all of your time every hour of the day thinking about, oh, I have this deadline to meet next week for this one client, or I need to debug this error in this website. I mean, of course, those things come up and it's always a balancing act and and spending time in both of these worlds. But the more that you can start to work on your business and take a bird's eye view, then you're being more strategic about where things are headed over the next year and, and that sort of thing. Yep. So one other thing that I'm running into just thinking through this is that some of the stuff that I'm going to need done is stuff that is going to take some kind of expertise to get done. So for example, you know, let's say I go ahead and do plumber's engine and I, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I need somebody who can tweak CSS or who can work on a WordPress theme or, you know, things like that. How do you find those people and what kinds of systems do you set up for them given that they have a certain baseline amount of knowledge? Yeah, sure. So, you know, systems and procedures and best practices and everything can apply to really anyone on your team, no matter the skill level. You know, my customer support team in Restaurant Engine, they all have CSS skills and, and web development skills, and, and they do make customizations like that to customers' websites, you know, on a daily basis. And we have kind of a set of guidelines of what's possible within our platform and, and what do we do, what don't we do. So these are things that have all been kind of documented in, in our process. I think it's a matter of finding people that you're comfortable working with, that you're comfortable with their skill level. Of course, like we have a really long procedure for the blog on Restaurant Engine. We do a lot of kind of like content marketing. So I have a team of writers, kind of like one head writer, and we have a procedure for him to not only write the articles and then publish them to the WordPress blog. I mean, that's technically, you know, very easy to do, but they also have now have a procedure for how to brainstorm new topics for the blog. And that's a much more, you know, nuanced process, right? Like you have to use some creativity. You have to figure out, you know, what's really going to resonate with this audience. And we have a whole set of of procedures that we've refined over a number of months, you know, like looking on other blogs, looking to our, our previous blog audience and seeing what resonates with them and then kind of filling up an editorial calendar and then doing an internal review of that and then writing out the article. I mean, these this is like three or four different procedures, you know, kind of like linked together. So yeah, I mean, they can become like pretty complex and they can also be very high level. You know, when it comes to like managing or directing, you know, creative people on your team, and by creative, I mean like anyone who does design or development, coding or, you know, or even writing or anything like that, like if they're creating or producing any anything, I typically don't necessarily want to direct like how to do, how to actually create something, but just a few guidelines, like what are our, our end goals? You know, we're like, you're the expert, so so use your like code however you prefer to code, but work within these guidelines or within mm-hmm. this framework, you know, or like this is, we're going towards this end goal. So like flexibility, but with constraints. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it's about walking a fine line between, it kind of goes back to making sure that the work is standardized, like in, in restaurant engine or in plumber engine, you know, you want to, define, okay, we do these types of sites with this feature set for this audience, but we don't do that, that, and that, you know? Otherwise, because if you do anything and everything, then it's not Plumber Engine anymore. It's a web design 
agency and we work with anyone, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about becoming focused and, you know, like, like my team will sometimes come to me and say like, you know, this customer asked for this kind of complex customization on their site. And then it's just a question of like, okay, well, like technically maybe we can do that and they even know how to do that. But sometimes we just have to say, you know, no, that's not really included or, or that's not really ideal for our platform. You're trying to do something that's a little bit beyond or something like that, you know? So I, I think just, you know, any way that we can keep it standardized and, and predictable can help. You have any other questions, Eric? Yeah, so kind of two sides for the marketing. You know, I want to know like, you know, what you can do to continue to market like you mentioned earlier like how that process gets easier because it's more of you're just trying to attract leads like who fit, you know, your target customer profile. But how do you get started especially when you know the service works in like a completely custom consulting environment but extracted out how do you know, like, okay, is my service going to resonate? Am I targeting the right people? And how do you actually build marketing around that to kind of get it bootstrapped enough to get it started? Because I think that's where most people are going to get hung up on it. Yeah, definitely. I guess the first thing that I would say is take some time to start start learning a little bit, a thing or two about marketing. If, if marketing is new to you, and I know it's new to most designers and developers, I come from a design and development background. It was new to me. It still is in many ways new to me. I'm still learning. But, you know, I think first and foremost, you have to take an interest in marketing. That means you know going on marketing podcasts and listening to interviews and reading blog posts and just, just familiarizing yourself with some of the things that other people are doing with success and just to look at them as case studies, right? So just take an interest in it is the first thing. But really, you know, then, then it starts to get a little bit overwhelming, right? Like there's so many different tactics and strategies and people will throw at you, you know? Then I think it's important to simplify it. And by that, I mean... I wrote an article the other day, uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, called How to Uncomplicate Your Marketing. And really, it's just all about knowing who that one customer is, that one person in, in your audience is. Because once you know who you're writing for and who you're trying to attract, everything else becomes easier, right? So, you know, there are a number of, of different things that are, you know, different strategies that you can take um, in terms of finding you know, building traffic and getting leads to your website and whatnot. What I've always naturally gravitated towards is some form of content marketing or education marketing. And I think these days that's really what works in all of online marketing is is some kind of educational aspect, whether it's like starting with a blog or a podcast or even just like a simple, like an email course or, or a webinar. The first thing that you need to do is build trust. And the best way to build trust with an audience is to teach them something of value, like help them, you know, improve in some way for free. And, you know, that immediately gets them kind of interested in what you have to say and, and kind of, you know, following along with what you're doing. Another key aspect of this is building up an email list. If you're not building a newsletter, I mean, I wish that I started my newsletter years before I did. That's the best way to capture those first time visitors to your website and get them into your audience so that they can find out about the next thing that you're doing, your, your next article or your next podcast or whatever, so that then they can come back a second time. Because if they don't get onto your email list, even if they follow you on Twitter or follow your RSS feed, like whoever still does that, you know, I actually do, but not many people do. You know, chances of them are actually catching your next few things that you're doing are very slim unless, unless you're sending them an email to their inbox because that's where they definitely will see something from you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, building up that email list, knowing who you're speaking to, it, it's just super important. Like on, on my site, CastGem, I've really invested heavily into this over the past year, not only building the email list, but then like anybody who joins my list now, the first email that they receive from me, I think it goes out the second day after they join, 
it's a sh- very short welcome email and it has three questions. It says, you know, tell me about what you're working on right now. Question two is, where would you like to be 12 months from now? And then question three is, what do you see as, as your biggest hurdle between getting there, you know, now and then? And I read every single one of those replies. I get a lot of them now. And some of them are very, very, like people write a lot. And it, it's really great to read those because that then informs me exactly how I should be writing my next article. You know, because you start to see these trends. You start to see the same types of responses and the same challenges coming up again and again. And then you start to really get an idea of like, okay, who is the most common person in my audience and who am I writing for? And then the next time I sit down to write an article or do an email newsletter or or write a, a landing page for some kind of product or something, I know exactly the language that they're using to describe you know, their biggest challenges. And then it's just a matter of kind of answering that. I know I'm just kind of like rambling on here a little bit, but it's, I think that kind of scratches the surface. But then once you just start to get into a little bit, you know, try things out, add that welcome sequence to your email newsletter or send out a survey, start listening in on interviews and podcasts, you know, talking about different marketing tactics. I think the more you, you get into it, the easier it gets. Yeah, that makes sense. I have to say, I don't have time for it, but I'm really tempted to see if I can pull something together as an exercise to see if I could, you know, build some kind of, you know, business like this where I'm offering some kind of service to a particular niche. That's the other thing that, that really excites me so much about productized services that you can literally launch them so quickly compared to, say, you know, building a software product or something. Mm-hmm. A couple of the case studies, and I think Nick DiSabato, I think he told me that he launched his service in like less than a week. Right? Like he just kind of wrote the landing page one day and put it up there and then announced it to some of his current and past clients. And I think he had his first two clients that way, something like that. Uh, Jared Drysdale, I think a month or two ago, he launched landingpageinaday.com. He designs and writes one landing page for maybe a new product or new service, whatever you're doing. I think it's currently it's like $1,000 for one day service. Mm-hmm. He, I think he had the idea on a Friday. He launched the landing page by Monday. And by Tuesday or Wednesday, after he posted it to a couple of forums and tweeted it and stuff, I think he said that he booked like seven of those days. You know, So, it, I mean, that's the beauty of this thing is that it's, it's not like a get rich overnight type of thing. You know, none of those things really exist. You know, it's so easy to get started and get that initial traction and get that customer number one, number two quickly so that then you can learn and then improve it and then grow it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and something that Nick mentioned that I'm taking to heart, I'm actually this week, like we're recording on Monday, I'm planning to build a new, like not build, I'm extracting another service out of stuff I do for clients a lot of the time. But an idea that Nick gave me was, especially if you're already doing a lot of the custom stuff for clients, extract out a part and then go to some of these clients that you have or maybe even leads and try to give them the service but give it to them for free in exchange for critical feedback so yes. you don't have to build the sales page you don't have to build the marketing funnel you could basically like in the next case you would like go to someone and say hey i want to do some a b testing to help your e-commerce stuff uh, i'm going to offer it to sell for my clients you know on a reoccurring monthly basis but i want to try it with you for a month and basically you're the guinea pig for me and in exchange you get all this value for free and see how that works. And I, I'm willing to bet, especially if you have a relationship with some people already, they're not going to turn you down. They're going to want that free thing from you. And they might actually turn into big clients later on, like after the freebie period's over. But they're going to give you that on-the-ground feedback that you're going to need to take it to a wider market. Totally. You know, couldn't have said it better. That Yeah, you know, doing the service for free, you know, once or twice with clients and then really getting those, nailing down those results. I mean, obviously you will need to change and get their feedback and, and refine it and, and iterate it over time. I mean, that's the whole point of getting it in front of like live clients. 
But then ultimately you can turn those into your very first case studies. And then that goes right on the landing page when it comes time to offer it as, as a paid service. So yeah, totally. Yeah, I really kind of dig that idea too. And if you have somebody that's out there in that market already that you know, then you can, you know, you get the validation and everything else at the same time. It's just really, I like it. Yeah, exactly. Another reason why it's so, like, if you're coming from a freelance background, it, this can run, like, alongside what you're already doing as a freelancer. You know, you don't necessarily have to change everything that you're doing in your business from today to tomorrow. You can just kind of start offering a productized product alongside the traditional consulting stuff. And, you know, I also see the productized offering as, like, a like an introductory thing to getting more consulting work. You know, I think exactly. what Jared said was he booked a whole bunch of those, like, landing page in a day projects, but a couple of those clients asked for additional pages on the website. And I think he said, like, some people asked, like, well, can I just buy three landing pages in a day, you know, or three days or whatever? And, and he was like, well, you know, no, I mean, you know, I'll do the one landing page, but then we can just talk about doing a separate project, and, and these are my rates for that, you know. So we've talked about marketing. We've kind of talked about finding the idea that you can, you know, profit by. We've talked about kind of different approaches to this. Are there any other areas of, you know, turning your, you know, building out this sort of a product slash services business that we haven't covered? Well, I mean, I could talk all day about this stuff, <laughs> but um, no, I, you know, I think we covered, you know, a lot of the high level stuff, you know, like the way that I break down um, my teaching on this is really those three channels, right? Like starting like launching it focusing in on one service building that value proposition the second one is automating systems writing those procedures and then the third is is into uh getting into the marketing stuff and knowing who your customer is so yeah i mean those are kind of the, the big three there and i do have a free email crash course on how to productize your service if anyone's interested uh, it's right on the home page of my site cashjam.com and uh, that kind of goes a little bit more in depth on, on some of these same lessons and um if you guys or if anyone else kind of has questions about this stuff, you can always reach out to me at uh, brian at castjam.com. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming. Let's go ahead and do some picks. Eric, do you want to start us with picks? Sure. First one is a good book on building systems. I think this was, I think the best one that was very strategic in like why you should build a system, but also gave you the best tactics of like, here's how you do it. Um, and I've read a lot. I got into like some systems theory books, which were like, completely overwhelming with like feedback cycles and syncs and stuff like that but this book it's called work the system by sam carpenter it's really really interesting and i read it a while ago but if i remember it right he basically it talks a little bit about his story of building his business and kind of growing and you know getting it to a point where it is using systems and manuals and that sort of process type stuff uh really interesting you can scale it down and i've actually used this for my business like I put in the chat, like I have three core systems at that it's basically like if you can duplicate those, like you can duplicate most of my business. It's like lead generation, lead conversion, and project delivery. That's the standard consulting systems. Another one, I read this a little bit ago, and this is more for Chuck than anyone else, but it's uh, how to make $1,000 in the next 14 days without an idea. And it's basically uh, a really quick and dirty way of building a productized consulting service you know, or just getting started figuring out what you're going to do. And I thought it was interesting because it's actually pretty easy to understand. And I think anyone can kind of take this and apply it to whatever industry or niche you have. And that's it. Awesome. All right. Well, this weekend, I took my wife up to Park City, Utah. It's actually about an hour from here, but it was just nice to get away. And so I'm just going to pick Park City, Utah. It's where they hold the Sundance Film Festival, if you're familiar with that. And it's just a really great town to go and hang out in. So... So that's my pick. Brian, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I do. Well, I have one. 
I just uh, gave you the link here. It's the uh, Tim Ferriss podcast. I'm just now getting into some of his some of these episodes, and I was just listening to one. Um, it's episode 44 of the Tim Ferriss podcast. You, you know, you guys know Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Work Week, and all that. So. This one, and so most of his episodes are like really long interviews and whatnot. This is a kind of a shorter one, and it's, I gave you the YouTube link because it's not actually listed on his site for some reason. So this one is only like 17 minutes, but it's called How to Avoid Decision Fatigue. And I just really resonated with this one because I'm, you know, working on these businesses all day and working on my work and I'm like, my brain constantly gets like drained because I make a lot of decisions every single day, like figure out what I need to work on next or how to fix a problem and all this stuff. You know, he just really talks about how to, how to limit that and reduce the number of decisions that you force yourself to make. You know, for instance, like one tip that he gives there is like the night before, the day before, just plan ahead of time your first hour of your day like what you're going to wear that day what you're going to eat for breakfast like your sequence of events from the time you get out of bed to you know like the first hour or two of your day just so that you can just like start your day on like basically like brain dead and like save that mental energy for later in the day when you really need it you know and uh like so i i started like trying that this morning i'm, I'm trying to get back into you know getting to the gym and, and whatnot so you know like I put like my gym shoes on the on the floor, shorts and everything, like ready to go, so I don't have to think about like oh where am I where are my gym shoes and everything. Like it just everything is is pre planned and set, so you can just like get out of bed and go. You know, I've, I've heard it a lot of times. Like I read an article about uh, President Obama a while back about how like he doesn't ever decide like what he's wearing, like like the tie color, or whatever, or what he's going to eat. Like people just decide that stuff for him because he has to make so many decisions throughout the day. They they want to you know, reduce the number of the mundane decisions that they go through. So, you know, the uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast, I think it's episode 44. That's a def- definitely a good one. Cool. I'll just say, so you no, know, that's actually in the feed too. I think it came out today or really recently. I just checked. So you yeah. don't have to actually watch it on YouTube. No, yeah, exactly. I, I heard it on the feed, then I was looking for it on his site today. I didn't, I didn't really see it there. But Nice. Well, thanks for coming, Brian. It was really good to talk to you and to get some ideas from you. So Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. All right, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. 